So at Valentine's, um, after all these years, I still have this picture in my head of Charlie Brown going to the mailbox, so hopeful of getting even one Valentine uh, from somebody, anybody, but especially from that little red-haired girl, you remember? I think he felt about the little red-haired girl kind of like Colvin felt about his teacher. All the other kids got him Valentine's, but not Charlie Brown. The mailbox was empty. Although eventually, after years and years of waiting, he got a single Valentine's card. But the, the same kid who would get a box, who would get rocks at Halloween uh, when he was trick or treating, waited years and years for a single Valentine's card. And I think that was a powerful picture that Charles Schultz, by the way, who was a believer. Uh, that he created, because in a way we could all feel Charlie Brown's pain because we all want to be valued, we all want to be liked, we all want to be loved. Uh, it's a basic fundamental part of being a human being, isn't it? We do. And I'm suggesting to you this morning that uh, your mailbox isn't empty this Valentine's Day. There is someone who loves you and values you more than words can describe, more than tongue can tell. So I want to spend just a few minutes uh, at the beginning today considering some of God's words of love for us and uh, relationship talk and his precious promises that he's made to us. So uh, Colvin and Glenn, I'm going to ask you to come to the front and help me uh, with this reading. to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and peace of God, and the peace of God will transcend you all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All praise to God. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. For God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died 
for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or dark uh, nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all, in all these things, things we are more, more than conquerors through, through him, him who has loved us. us. For, For I am convinced, convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Glenna. Thank you, Colvin. So um, I want to share with you uh, at this point a few quotations, not biblical quotations, although the content, I believe, is biblical, uh, on the subject of love. All the following uh, quotations come from the same person, and uh, in a few minutes I'm going to share who that person is. There are no great things, only small things with great love. But those small things done with great love become the source of great joy. I don't do great things. I do small things with great love. The most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. The world is changed by your example, not your opinion. Boy, isn't that powerful in this day of social media? The world is changed by your example, not your opinion. Being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. The very fact that God has placed a certain soul in our way is a sign that God wants us to do something for him or her. It is not chance. It has been planned by God. We are bound by conscience to help him or her. What can you do to promote world peace? Go home and love your family. 
sweetest Lord, make me appreciative of the dignity of my call and its many responsibilities. Never permit me to disgrace it by giving way to coldness, unkindness, or impatience. Do you want to do something beautiful for God? There is a person who needs you. This is your chance. At the end of our lives, we will not be judged by how many diplomas we have received, how much money we have made, or how many great things we have done. We will be judged by this. I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you took me in. Now, I mentioned earlier that all these quotes are from a single individual. In my viewpoint, uh, among all the people who lived in the, 20, the 20th century, uh, hers was one of the, the lives that most closely mirrored the life of Jesus Christ. Even though she never married or had a boyfriend that we know of or possibly never even went on a date, she was one of the greatest known lovers of people in modern history, maybe the greatest known. She was born in 1910 in what is now the Republic of Macedonia, her parents named her Agnes. She devoted her life to God at an early age. She felt the call of God to be part of a religious order at the age of 12. When she turned 18, Agnes joined the Sisters of Loreto, an order of nuns, to become a missionary to India. Before she could go to India, however, she needed to learn English, so she spent a year in Ireland learning to speak English at Loreto Abbey. A year later, Agnes began her missionary work in Darjeeling, India. She learned the local language, which was Bengali. In India, that uh, English is one of the languages and Bengali uh, another. So after learning Bengali, she taught at the local school in Darjeeling. In 1931, she took her vows as a nun, and she chose the name Teresa. Although she had a longer official name, that's the name that she chose to be known by. She taught school for almost two decades in India. Uh, when she was 36 years old, Mother Teresa was on a <clears throat> excuse me was on a train ride going to uh, going to a religious retreat. She heard the Lord speak to her. The Lord was telling her to move to the slums of Calcutta and devote herself to helping the sick, the poor, and the destitute there. So that is what she did as soon as she could. She had to get permission from the people, uh, her superiors, but that is what she did. Um, she received some basic medical training, and then she set out to help the sick and the needy. Uh, this was not an easy task in 1948 in India. Uh, she had very little financial support, uh, while, and while trying to feed uh, the poorest of the poor, it, it's reported that she was often hungry herself, and it is reported that she had to beg for food. In 1950, Mother Teresa formed a group within the Catholic Church called, <clears throat> called the Missionaries of Charity. She described the purpose of the missionaries, missionaries of Charity as an organization that would take care of, quote, the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, and all those people who feel unwanted, unloved, and uncared for throughout society, people that have become a burden to the society and are shunned by everyone. When you consider that she had 
known hunger only a few years earlier, she accomplished some pretty amazing things. When she first started the Missionaries of Charity, there were 13 members. By the time Teresa died, the group had over 4,000 members caring for people all over the world. It wasn't an easy task to build such an organization and to keep uh, the focus on the poorest people and to hands-on hands on help and love those people. Uh, she worked almost up until her death, September 5th, 1997. So she's born in 1910. She dies in 1997. Mother Teresa was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. <clears throat> Rather than have the traditional Nobel Honors Banquet, she asked that the money for the banquet be donated to the poor of India, because of course she did. She received a whole bunch of different awards for her charity work, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, from President Reagan. The amazing life that Mother Teresa lived was so amazing only because she was trying to, to walk in the footsteps of another. But you knew that already. She was trying to, to walk in the footsteps of the one who loved perfectly, the one in whose footsteps we are committed to walk. So Jesus of Nazareth told his followers, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He was, of course, the person who, after being mercilessly and relentlessly beaten and then nailed to a cross, with nearly his dying breath, said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In a, in a similar teaching, Ephesians 5.2 instructs us to, quote, live a life filled with love, Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, as a pleasing aroma to God. There is one principle that is to guide our lives every day. Love is the North Star, the North Star that guides our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. And I think there are two essential pieces to this, to this love being our guide and our North Star. The first piece is this. Recognize just how deeply you are loved. That's what comes first. Every day think about just how unbelievably much God loves you and keep that in the forefront of your mind. Um, Lloyd John Ogilvie, who was minister of the Hollywood Presbyterian Church for many years, uh, a noted Bible expositor, Christian author, and eventually he was chaplain in the U.S. Congress. I believe it was on the Senate side. He shared something from, uh, his, from early in his life. He said, I'll never forget the first time I really experienced healing grace. I was a post-grad student at the University of Edinburgh, because of financial pressures, I had to accordion my studies into a shorter than usual period. Carrying a double load of classes was very demanding, and I was exhausted by the constant feeling of never quite measuring up. No matter how good my grades were, I thought they could be better. Sadly, I was not living the very truths I was studying, although I could have told you that the Greek words for grace and joy were charis and kara, I was not experiencing them. 
my beloved professor, Dr. James Stewart, that slightly built dynamo of a saint, saw into my soul with x-ray vision. One day in the corridor of the new college, he stopped me. He looked me in the eye intensely. Then he smiled warmly. He took my coat lapels in his hands, drew me down a few inches from his face, and said, Dear boy, you are loved now. And I think a, a lot of us are, <clears throat> are a lot like that young Lloyd John Ogilvy. You and I need to know that we're loved by God right now. You know, sometimes we tend to think that God will really, really love us at some mythical time in the future when we get our stuff together, when we're more productive, when we measure up, when we have all our ducks in a row, and when we don't struggle anymore. Then God will really love me, at least I think that's how we reason sometimes. Have you ever been there? But here's a news flash. That day's never going to come when we measure up and when we have it all together. It isn't going to come. Not, in, not this side of eternity anyway. Thank God that he loves us now. Weak and broken sinners that we are, he loves us right now. Recognize that you are dearly loved by God. Embrace this as a central truth of your life. You are his precious son. You are his beloved daughter. You are the one he loves. So today I want to repeat something that I said just a few weeks ago. You know, something's really bare repeating. This is so crucial, I'm, I'm going to say it again basically verbatim. Years ago I heard Max Lucado preach. And he said something that stuck with me all these decades later. God, the king of the universe, is closer to your heart and more in love with you right at this very moment than you've ever dared allowed yourself to imagine. Let that sink in. Lucado further writes, if God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you're ready to talk, he's ready to listen. He knows your name. He pays such close attention to you that he knows how many hairs are on your head. He even gave up his one and only son for you. He did not withhold anything when he was giving to you. So that's the first piece of this living a life of love. We need to really recognize how deeply God loves us, how deeply God loves you. And then based on that, secondly, let that love overflow into the lives of other people. God is calling you to live a life of love. He's putting specific people in your pathway providentially for the specific purpose that he wants you to love them. You who are loved so deeply are called to love. And you know what that looks like in real life. You, you will and you work for the good of others. You will, they're good for them, and you work for good for them. You let God's love overflow into their lives. Love is a powerful motivation. May 2nd, 1962, a dramatic advertisement appeared in the San Francisco Examiner newspaper. 
I don't want my husband to die in the gas chamber for a crime he did not commit. I will therefore... I will therefore offer my services for 10 years as a cook, maid, or housekeeper to any leading attorney who will defend him and bring about his vindication. One of San Francisco's greatest attorneys, Vincent Hallinan, read or, or heard about this ad and contacted Gladys Kidd, who had placed it. Her husband, Robert Lee Kidd, was about to be tried for the slaying of an elderly antique dealer. And it looked like he had committed the crime because his blood and fingerprints were found on a blood-stained ornate sword in the victim's shop. Well, during the trial, this great lawyer proved that the antique dealer had not been killed by that sword and that Kid's fingerprints and blood on the sword got there because Kid had once toyed with it while playfully dueling with a friend while they were out shopping. The jury, after 11 hours, found Kid to be not guilty. Now, the attorney, Hallinan, refused Gladys Kid's offer of 10 years of servitude. But Robert Lee Kidd was set free because of his wife's loving commitment. Love does amazing things. Love stays up half the night with a sick child, or the whole night if that's what's necessary. Love, <clears throat> love causes a wife to spend years caring for her husband who has dementia. Love causes a husband to do what it takes to provide for his family. Love carries the mail. Love does what it takes. Love gets the job done. Love labors long. Love is what makes the world go round. Can there be any doubt that God is calling you to live a life of love? God wants you to be like his son Jesus, and he provided the example for us. The very fact that God has placed a certain soul in our way is a sign that God wants us to do something for him or her. It is not chance. It has been planned by God. We are bound by conscience to help him or her. Do you want to do something beautiful for God? There's a person who needs you. This is your chance. As we're closing, in a moment we're going to pray together. But first, I want to ask you to spend just a few moments thinking about the people God is placing in your life. The opportunities that he's giving you to love other people. You can be sure that this coming week, the thing that God wants most for you is that you love. So let, let's meditate on that for just a few moments. Dear Father, thank you that Jesus died for the ungodly, that when we had acted as your enemies and we'd rebelled against you, you loved us anyway. Thank you that you love us right now. Lord, for this love that is beyond comprehension and beyond the ability of our words to completely describe, but we're grateful that you love us. Lord, help us to love you. And Lord, we pray uh, that we could demonstrate that love for you by loving other people. Lord, we pray that that love would be welling up in our hearts so that it overflows into other people's lives.
And Lord, we pray that that love would not just be a feeling, but that it would be demonstrated by actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing the song of encouragement. Uh, You can come to the front if you have a need on your heart. Let's stand and encourage each other.